Welcome to Small Biz Brainiac, providing employer intelligence that helps you navigate the regulatory landscape and keep you on course running the business you love. Here's your host, Thomas Rock Lindsay. Hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of Small Biz Brainiac. This is 130. Adios, Obama era joint employer definition. My name is Thomas Rock Lindsay, and this is the podcast that delivers employer intelligence two days each week in short seven to ten minute episodes. My co host Robert Attridge delivers the Thursday show, and I deliver the Tuesday show. Now, I'm super excited to bring you today's episode because we had a win. But first, I want to ask and answer this question How do laws get created without Congress? Well, through regulations. Because these regulations have the effect of law. They are created by unelected bureaucrats, and they're based on either presidential policy or on their own misguided agendas. And they simply take existing law and expand them through regulations. In many cases, far beyond what Congress intended. It happens all the time. And since these idiot bureaucrats don't know what they're doing, then lawsuits follow because people need clarification. And then the courts further define congressional intent and the regulator's intent, and then legislate from the bench. And that's known as case law. So Congress is to blame. Well, actually, we are as voters because we put them there. But when you get right down to it, Congress is lazy. They basically leave 90% of the job of creating law up to the bureaucrats. They just pass the framework, and then turn it over to the agency to really define it. However, once in a while, something does go our way, like last week when the new Secretary of Labor, Alexander Acosta, made a decision that should cause you to rejoice, especially if you're a franchisee, a franchisor, a temporary staffing company, or a business that uses a temporary staffing company. So I first told you about this joint employer definition or the redefining of joint employer in episodes 61 and 62. So under the Obama administration, the National Labor Relations Act or the NLRB decided to change the definition, uh, basically paving the way for the Department of Labor and other agencies to follow suit. So the DOL actually refers to uh, their change in the definition as quote unquote informal guidance. So now you have basically the law itself the regulations that the bureaucrats create, case law that the judges create, and then definitions uh, or the redefining of these words that the bureaucrats make along the way, and now informal guidance. It's awesome, right? Okay, so a joint employer is where two or more employers are mutually responsible for labor law compliance of the same employee. And there are over 10 million employees working in positions that involve two or more companies, so the redefining of the term to broaden it is a big deal. Before the NLRB ruling that solidified their new definition under the National Labor Relations Act, you had to actually have uh, authority to control uh, the terms and conditions of the employment, and you also had to exercise that authority. This change came in the case of Browning Ferris Industries of California and Lead Point Business Services. In a three to two ruling uh, that took 50 pages to explain, the NLRB said that it no longer requires you to possess and exercise that authority. Instead, 
You just have to have indirectly exercised it uh, through an intermediary or, say, a temporary staffing company. That was enough to establish joint employer status. But even before the Browning-Ferris case, the NLRB began chasing McDonald's in an attempt to hold the franchisor, McDonald's Corp., responsible for labor law compliance of all their franchisees. And that dirty little fight began when the NLRB filed a round of claims against various McDonald's franchisees. They took 30 claims amongst various uh, franchisees, only 14 of which had actual employee complaints. The other 16 were just conjured up to justify this massive expense and to consolidate everything together in one case, also that they could advance their non-congressionally sanctioned agenda to redefine joint employer. Now, the case started back in 2012, and it's still going on. In fact, it's at the point where the NLRB is trying to chase down hundreds of thousands of pages of discovery for McDonald's in this little witch hunt of theirs. So what does this have to do with the Department of Labor? Well, the Department of Labor jumped onto the NLRB bandwagon and has been kind of waiting in the wings to pounce on employers, you know, riding on their the NLRB coattails. But now that we have a new sheriff in town with the new appointment of Labor S- Secretary Alexander Acosta, he has pulled the joint employer campaign off the table. He did that on June 7th. So that takes care of the Department of Labor. But now what about the NLRB? Who's going to correct their course? Is their new joint employer definition now void? What's going to happen in the McDonald's case going forward? Well, that is still going on. Uh, Hopefully it'll be ending soon. We'll definitely keep an eye on it. But the NLRB's position probably won't change until some of the current goons are replaced by some less goony ones. And that should happen uh, sometime around the end of the year. Basically, there are two vacant board positions right now. And the terms of two others expire at the end of 2017. So that's going to give Trump a lot of control over NLRB policy when he appoints replacements. NLRB board members are appointed for five-year terms and they're confirmed by the Senate. Typically, it's comprised of three people from the sitting president's political party and two from the opposing party. Meanwhile, Trump appointed Philip Miscamara as chairman of the NLRB, and he happens to be one of the two dissenting votes in the Browning-Ferris decision and also a huge critic of the NLRB's actions against McDonald's Corp. Now, the International Franchise Association uh, has been attacking this problem from a different angle. According to Sophie Quinton in an article for the Pew Charitable Trust on March 15, 2017, 10 states have passed laws since 2015 saying that franchisors cannot be considered the employer of their franchise employees. And another 11 states uh, have pending legislation to, to do the same thing. That's great as it relates to state law, but it doesn't do anything to prevent the NLRB or the DOL or any other federal agency from asserting joint employer status. But at least it's a huge slap in the face. So Ms. Quinton says in her article that lobbyist Jeff Hanscom has also played a key role in making this happen at the state level. Now, in addition to that, back in 2015, Tennessee Senator Lamar Alexander and Minnesota Rep, uh, Representative John Klein uh, tried and, and failed to pass a law that would have uh, recodified the old definition of joint employer into uh, federal law. But we'll we'll take this win, and hopefully it won't be the last under the new DOL secretary and under the what will be the new reconstituted board of the NLRB. So there you have it. 
head on over to Small Biz Brainiac for your copy of my free report on the eight steps to lowering your employer liability. And uh, let me know if you need any help implementing your strategy. Well, that's a wrap. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to Small Biz Brainiac. To get your questions answered by Thomas directly, visit smallbizbrainiac.com. And for more employer intelligence, be sure to join us again here on Small Biz Brainiac.